Hello, my name's Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Welcome to episode three of Theologizing Life. This is part two of the episode, A Place and a Space for a Conversation on Race. If you were not able or have not yet listened to part one, I want to encourage you to do that first. I hope uh, that this conversation adds dimension and understanding and perspective uh, to Uh, your views on the race issues our country is facing. I know it did for me. Thanks for listening. Uh, Kyle, when you were talking about uh, the turning away, like the privilege of being able to turn away from uh, something because it's not directly affecting you, I just, I thought about the parable of the Good Samaritan um, and the the priest and the Levite who turned away from uh, the, the man who was beaten and dying. And the thing I also like to point out about that parable uh, is it's embedded in that context of what you said earlier about our, our the great commandment to love God and love people. And the parable Jesus uses to illustrate what that looks like, he weaves into the parable a racial component by having the hero of the story be a Samaritan. But I could start preaching there, so we'll. I'll, I'll stop with that. So, um, man, thank you guys for sharing. One of the things that I've I've encountered is that people will admit that there were systems and and laws and like that redlining was wrong and uh, there were different things. Segregation um, were part of a system, but that's all been torn down since, and so talking of systemic racism still, uh, and and even Daniel, you said something about it being individual hearts. Uh, but it, it seems to me, and I would love for you guys to, to speak to it. It seems to me that systemic doesn't necessarily mean legislative or structural systemic means pervasive. Like if you, uh, have an isolated area of a cancerous tumor. Um, it's, it's an isolated area, but if it's spread, it's systemic and and they'll even use that term. And so to me, it would seem, and and I would just love you guys to, maybe I'm just fishing for some affirmation. I don't know, but, um, it would seem to me that if there are individuals whose hearts are racist and those individuals are in places of power, whether that's, uh, they're a police officer, a teacher, a school administrator, a coach, uh, a government official, a judge, um, if they're in those places of power, it, it's going to sort of leak into the system. Uh, and, Absolutely. and yeah. And, and it seems to me like in ministry, I've used this example. I used to think instances of like rape or, um, sexual abuse were not that common, like, but in ministry I've found <clears throat> it's much more common it's much there's there's many more people than I would have thought who is part of this story. And I feel like I'm coming and Daniel, you can maybe speak to this, but that story you told of being pulled over in the gas station and your car searched, um, and just stories like that, I'm coming to believe are much more common than I ever would have believed. It, are those things that I'm 
um, trying to navigate and sort through and interpret myself? Am I, uh, am I in left field? What, what would you guys, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally, uh, I would totally agree with that, especially, um, a lot of times if you see, if you're seeing things actually making it into the mainstream or kind of being presented for us all to see like police brutality and stuff, pretty much that's like a small amount of what's really going on. And granted, even I have to kind of, you know, grapple with that myself. Like even before um, I had the inter- you know, interaction with the police officer, like I didn't necessarily have a police brutality happening to me and things like that. So. I also have to make sure I'm, under, you know, understanding and listening to my fellow black brothers and sisters about what they're going through as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think you're totally right on with that. Um, a lot of times, even with the cases of like sexual abuse and things like that, um, a lot of people are just for whatever reason, don't feel, you know, like there's an openness to share that. And um, I, I, I go to a predominantly white church and um in this, you know, this discourse we're having about everything going on right now with race and things have been, has been really good for my church because there's an openness and invitation to really share. Um, but with that, I realized that I had kind of been compartmentalizing my black experience, you know, from my church, just kind of subconsciously mm-hmm. assuming that it's not the place to even share that because either I might, might be second guessing myself or just assume that it wouldn't be welcome, even though they didn't do anything, you know, to blatantly to make me think that. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot going on that for whatever reason people aren't sharing. Um, but I think it, those stories will start coming out more and more when there's more invitations to talk about it and more uh, safety, you know, to really talk about these things as well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, some of my first experiences because. I mean, I'll, t- I'll be honest, when I went into the Army and went into Indiana Wesleyan, um, I didn't believe in that I was racist or there was systemic racism or anything like that. Um, and then I started to see it over and over. Um, remember, there's a young man that I mentored for a couple of years, a young black man in Marion, and um, we went to go put in his job application, and we show up, and he was dressed nicer than I was. Um, he had on jeans and a polo. Um, I had like basketball shorts and a t-shirt on. And we walk in and he goes to hand um, like the manager his his application. And the manager doesn't even like take his hand out to grab it. He just looks at me and says, yeah, but will you, are you going to apply? Because I want you. He says that right in front of this young man. Wow. Um, and and it, it broke my heart. And I, I, I literally grabbed you know, this young man's application, handed it to the guy, and we walked out. Um, And then literally two weeks later, um, um, this young man's car broke down. um, And then I went to go meet him. He called me, I went to go meet him, and there was a a cop had showed up. And um, I've been pulled over like seven or eight times because I speed a lot. I've only (laughs) only ever been given one ticket, one ticket. Mm -hmm. Um, but the way that this police officer was talking to and addressing this young man, I'd never been talked like that by a police officer in my life. Um, and again, you know, when you start to see those things, it really starts to make an impression. Um, 
again, so much of the things I learned in Marion, I was, um, my friend had a very uh, kind of tinted out, he was white, had a very tinted out Chrysler 300. So I'm going to plan a little bit of stereotypes here, but that's, that's a car. Uh, and Daniel, you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's a no, car, right. you know, you see a lot of black men driving and, um, and uh, anyway, we went down the wrong way, down to one way at night, and a cop was right there. And he pulled us over immediately. Comes up, it's dark out. He comes up with his flashlight. I roll my window down because I, I was actually driving. We didn't get our window halfway down. He looks inside and he goes, "Oh, have a nice day," and just wow. turns around, and walks around. And I just sat there thinking, like, wait, so what? What was he looking for then? Like, you know, I, it, it was just really, again. It just felt like I was part of like the good old boys club there for a minute. Um, and so again, you see these things start to happen over and over in different scenarios. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm, I want to encourage your listeners so much in whatever they way, way they can, um, put yourself in places and spaces with minorities because God will change your heart. You will see and experience things you will never see and experience otherwise. Um, you will become part of a different story and you will be able to start writing a different narrative um, because you will have a different story to tell. Um, and so, yeah, I started to see these things. And that, the, Anthony, that's like three examples out of, I feel like I could give a hundred. Um, and um, yeah, and so this just became something where I thought this young man was going to get denied a job because of his skin color. This young man, if I hadn't showed up when his car broke down, was probably getting taken to jail. And I and it, there didn't seem like there was a good reason. I, I, this cop didn't even care who I was or what I had just done wrong because it rolled down my window and I looked a certain way. You know, and, and those things matter because if I had been um, black in any of those scenarios, um, man, I would not have liked my outcome. Um, and so, again, I think, you know, if you are a white individual that doesn't really believe in these things, I would just ask you some questions. What if you, um, you know, 40, 50 years ago or your parents had went to apply for a loan in a good neighborhood and they were denied because of their skin color? You know, what if, and this happened, has happened over the last five years, three years in Indianapolis. What if three of the high schools, the closest three high schools to your child all closed in year after year after year? And you now had one choice to put your kid in a high school that now barely has the room for those students. And sometimes there's not even teachers for some of the classes because they don't have enough teachers and they have too many students and there's not enough community high schools. You know, what if that was your experience? You know, what if your experience was that you've been pulled over seven or eight times, nine times, 10 times because of your skin and you've had your car illegally searched and maybe even seized for no good reason. You know, what if that was your daily experience? And so I just want people to sort of put themselves <clears throat> in the shoes of, of minorities in this country. I think if we can do that, um, we're going to start to be able to see things in a much different way. Um, so yeah, sorry, kind of long, but I just wanted to add a few personal experiences. No, that's, that's good. Um, I want to ask briefly, uh, cause I don't think this, this, there's a follow-up question I think uh, may precipitate a longer discussion, but um, so there's this Black Lives Matter sort of mantra and hashtag and uh, and all this stuff, but there's also 
a Black Lives Matter organization. And I've been to, uh, I've actually heard there's more than one organization that identifies, I don't know, but there's one I've been to. Um, and there are things on their values that they state that I don't agree with. Uh, and I know a lot of Christians wouldn't agree with, but I've used the hashtag and I know pastor friends who've used the hashtag, but the concerns or, or what some Christians have brought up is um, sort of guilt by association type of thing, I guess, that uh, to use the hashtag is to support the organization and the counter-Christian values that organization stands for. Um, is using the hashtag or saying Black Lives Matter uh, the same as supporting the organization? Why or why not? I have an example I can share, Anthony. Um, you know, another tough tough topic in the church um, but that we probably should talk about more as well. Um, but when we talk about um, homosexuality in the church or LGBTQ, um, again, we don't really talk about those things. Um, but often, um, the, the side that, uh, you know, affirms LGBTQ, um, their, their language is that they are affirming. Um, and it's just interesting almost that Christians feel like now they can't use that term even to affirm that they are children of God and that we love them. And again, Anthony, I don't know your specific view, uh, on, on LGBT rights or, or Daniel or, but, um, the church should still be at the forefront of loving these people, affirming them as, as, as children of, of God, whether um, um, you believe in everything um, is a different story. Um, but I still think aff affirming, using that word, the church should absolutely use that, use that phrase too. It's almost like someone kind of stole a phrase, um, stole like a good phrase. Um, and with Black Lives Matter, um, I just look because an organization is named after a phrase that all of us should be able to say for, no matter what. Um, that doesn't take. That doesn't mean that they now have control of that. That doesn't mean that they now have like own um, the fact that um, you and I can say Black Lives Matter. I mean, Anthony, before BLM ever existed, um, I was trying to get. Um, the, like the actual organization, I've been trying to get Christians to say Black Lives Matter. I, mm -hmm. I don't I don't care when or where it started or how or, or who runs it. Like that organization has had so very little to do with like the, the, the gospel movement that God has done in my heart with race and also the work that so many people around me have been doing for decades before I was, you know, yes, this organization gets a ton of attention. I think a lot of it is because they have the same name. And also, um, that's what the honestly, that's what the church reaps when we don't do anything to sow justice into our Christian our Christian message or the Christianity that we have. When we don't sow in um, justice for people um, in this country into our Christianity, when we don't bring those truths out of Scripture, when we shut prophets and and justice and righteousness out of our gospel, um, you know what we sow? We sow an organization that basically filled in the gap that the church never filled in. And so it's also really important that the church 
does not become this judgmental organization and start judging people who are do not claim Christ when the church is the one that completely missed the bow on taking the lead on these things. So when you create a vacuum, of course, other things are going to fill in. But then is it really right for you to start criticizing, judging, and calling this organization, you know, Marxist, and really doing anything you can to belittle it when as the church and as Christians, we were the ones that missed uh, missed the mark in the first place. Um, so I think it's very important that we don't become um, judgmental and off-putting and just start kind of throwing all these political terms at this movement when first and foremost, I think um, Jesus Christ would absolutely um, be serving and loving the poor, just as he always did, serving and loving, teaching us how to love minorities, telling us stories about how to love minorities. Um, and he would and he would be also, I think, be uttering Black Lives Matter. Um, actually, I know he would. That That's the Jesus I serve. That's absolutely the Jesus I serve. Um, and if you can't come to terms with that, if you're listening, you can't come to terms with that. I'm just going to encourage you again. The way that your heart and mind is going to change is you are going to have to put yourself in black owned places and spaces and let let a different story, a different narrative wash over you. You're going to have to let God come in and do something crazy. And you're going to have to start um, being a part of the change that the church, because even I'm talking about like individual hearts and minds, at the end of the day, we're all connected. We are connected as one body, as the church. And um, we're going to have to start to to make a difference, not just in our own hearts, but in in our church as well. Hey, that's good. That's good. Uh, I want to I want to just say real quick, and I'm going to move on to another question. I want Daniel to to speak to, but um, mentioning sort of the church's failure historically. Uh, there's that's actually I mean that's a loaded uh, that's a loaded topic that we don't have time to go into, but. Um, I just encourage people, you can sort of research the history of of how, uh, I think sometimes we we look back and we have sort of a sanctified view of history, but it was actually, there were a, a number of white pastors who were not supportive of Dr. King. I think we like to think we would be on the, the right side of history and on the, uh, the, the right side of those things, but historically the church wasn't. Uh, you can research a lot, like when a lot of Christian schools were started. And it's interesting that a lot of them were started uh, when desegregation was enacted to allow private schools for, uh, you know, white kids to go to. Um, you, you can look at the history of some Christian schools and research that stuff. We don't have time to unpack all of that here, uh, but there, there is historical validity to what Kyle's saying about uh, the church sort of not necessarily stepping uh, by obviously, when you generalize people who uh, who were there were people who supported Dr. King, there were Christians and things that there were, but by and large, um, as a as a collective whole, uh, the church hasn't always done a good job. Um, Daniel, I I haven't listened to many conservative black political commentators and activists. Um, I'm not even going to mention some names. I don't want to do that. I think, you know, you probably might know what I'm talking about. I haven't listened to some of the videos, but I've seen people propagate their videos and share them on uh, Facebook. And I've, I've encountered enough to know that sort of their idea is that 
Uh, they suggest that things like systemic racism and white privilege are a myth, that many of the police brutality instances are sensationalized and racialized by the media. But in reality, if criminals, you know, this is a line I hear, if they just uh, obeyed the cops, they'd be fine. You know, have you ever noticed, I've seen this meme, have you ever noticed cops don't bother people who aren't committing crimes, right? Um, yeah. Or that viewing black people as victims of oppression will keep them as the perpetual victim or that the real issue is fatherless homes and violence within communities of people of color. So that, that in a nutshell, I think is some of the message of some black voices. And uh, I think some people use that as sort of validation for, um, for being able to not step into those uh, mm -hmm. being it. What, how do you say it, Kyle, being with people and, places uh yeah yeah places and spaces that aren't like yeah. you yeah um but anyway so daniel what points do some of are, are some of those black voices making that are valid um like are there good points being made and what what points are not helpful from your perspective um and from your story yeah well i don't really like listen a ton to like the prominent um, black, I, I call them hyper-conservative voices for probably obvious reasons. Um, from what I see, I feel like this is the problem with politics in regards to how it can like just be the sole decider between what we think about race. Like, of course, politics is going to be involved, but when we have a filter politics before we come to the issue of race, it, I feel like it breeds um just kind of spaces um where excuse me um just disingenuous things are being done and i that's pretty much how i feel about a couple prominent <laughs> black hyper partisan conservatives i feel like um you you will hear a lot of things that they bring up when it like say they'll say um yeah father fatherlessness is the problem in black communities or you know so-and-so black on black crime or um that racism is sensationalized and stuff and you can say things that are true without the full context of it and you can say things that are true without love and what good is that going to do and even the things that are say that may be accurate without context just mislead and misguide and i've had people on my social media feed propagate um like candace owens and people like that and from my from what i know like the vast majority of black people don't agree with that and it, it, it i feel like it makes things worse um because you're when people do that i feel i feel like they are just using just conveniently using a black face to say the things that they want to say or that they may not mm -hmm. feel comfortable saying and you're ignoring like 99 percent of other black voices just for this one percent that happens to agree with what you're saying and it's it it doesn't allow people to see things from a different point of view it kind of keeps them stuck in, in in the comfort zone um and it communicates to me that um it kind of insults my intelligence because it's like you just think I'm going to listen to that person just because they're black, you know. Um, so I feel yeah. like, and 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 then you have to look at you know 
the people that are like Candace Owens, people like that, they get paid for this stuff. This is how they make their living, you know, to be in opposition to these things. Um, so I don't feel like it's helpful. Um, like, of course, they're going to make some accurate points. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, but without contact, without empathy, it's like, are, are the things they're really saying really meant to try and bring um, reconciliation? Or is it just serving as more fodder to keep more divisiveness and to keep um, a certain political side from really addressing something they see as a threat to their politics, which is like the issue of racism. Um, I feel like they're upholding that and I feel like um, they're getting paid for it. And so you have to take what they say and how they say it with a grain of salt as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's generally my opinion on it. Um, I've seen some things they've said, like I actually, my wife got into a discourse with someone who posted a video of Candace Owens basically kind of demonizing George Floyd and basically saying that black people always put their worst people on a pedestal um, and that we were doing that with George Floyd and basically saying he was, and then this led to this woman who posted it, who's a white woman to say, George Floyd was not a good man. He was a criminal. And he, if he just did, you know, whatever he's supposed to do, this wouldn't have happened. And I just immediately saw the effect of this black voice who was saying what she said led to a, just a confirmation or a re, um, it just reaffirmed to this white woman what she already saw and just gave her, feel like, gave her permission to basically demonize this man and almost insinuate that he deserved what happened to him if he just would obey the police. But in my own personal life, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And, you know, the thing with the cop happened to me. So I don't know. I just feel like it, it just gives, um, it just adds to the divisiveness and just, yeah, it just becomes a voice that kind of prevents uh, true healing between us all. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Thanks. thank you, Daniel. Anthony. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think, I think too, um, if you are gathering your information and gathering your perspective from people who are doing truly like gotcha media, sort of like um, these five or 10 minute little sound bites who are, and they're just spewing their kind of, and I'm talking both sides. I'm talking left, right, because I yeah. still, I don't believe this is, I, I don't believe that human justice and um and um racism i don't believe those are political things i think these are things that are that are, are spiritual and relational and um they should be addressed politically but i guess what i'm trying to say is if that's where you're gaining your information i'll just encourage you to stop um i don't think it's helpful it's not healthy it, oftentimes it's just these things are taken so out of context and I, I do watch quite a few of these videos uh, on both sides, whatever the, the um, topic is. And it's often someone sitting in their car just going off for 10 minutes about a certain thing. And it's usually, like Daniel said, there's usually not any love or peace or kindness or goodness. Really, again, any of the things that, that Christians are supposed to right. have show in their life. Um, I, so I just would encourage people, like, go ahead and just turn those videos off. I don't think they're helpful. Um, I don't think 
Um, they give good information. Um, and I'll just, again, encourage people, find your information from, from good sources, good sources that have been reviewed. Talk to people, talk to friends, family, uh, coworkers, people you wouldn't normally talk with. Um, yeah, just get into some real conversations and, and read some good books and watch some good documentaries um, instead of just, again, kind of like this gotcha media that we often fall into. Yeah, that's good. Um, so uh, we're going to, I think we'll have to wrap up here soon, but I have two really important questions. Um, what are some practical solutions in particular that Christians can be a part of? And just for any listeners, uh, Kyle is taking on the dad mantle now and his daughter's <laughs> hanging out with him. So if you hear her, um, we totally welcome that. I have you know, two lovely children. So, but yeah, what are some practical, what's her name, Kyle? This is Haven. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hi, Haven. You have very pretty blue eyes. Doctor appointment, so. Yeah, that's totally okay. What are some practical solutions that Christians can get behind? Um, and and I just want to clarify, we get behind them not because of our political leanings. We get behind them because Jesus taught that we are to love God and love people. Uh, there's a big theme of justice actually that runs from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, there's also Jesus modeled being in uh, places and spaces with people who were different than him, you know, uh, and I could talk, I could preach about that a lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop, but how can we be part of some solutions because we follow Jesus, not because of our political leanings? What would that look like? Uh, Daniel, I'd love to hear, um, hear your thoughts. And another way of asking the question is how can white Christians be an ally is, is what I've, I've mm. heard. I know just speaking from a more just on the more interactive, like interpersonal standpoint uh, where I feel like everything starts. Um, I've been really blessed just to see my white brothers and sisters kind of take the initiative and like um, speaking out against these things in places where, you know, so I don't necessarily have to. Um, and also I really value just when people listen, like I've had plenty of conversations with Kyle that I feel blessed by where he's just, just asking me like, what, how am I doing with everything going on? What's my perspective? And I, honestly, I never really experienced that before, you know, with white brothers and sisters. And it's a different conversation um, than when you're just talking about it with you're like, you know, you're the people you're in that, that are black, you know, that, you know, um, and it's a very good and it's brought healing to my heart um, just to know that people see what's going on, not letting politics cloud it, but really want to know how you are doing and they care about you and they're empathizing with you. When, when George Floyd passed and I saw that video, um, I, I really grieved like more than before. And a lot of us, I know we're all we're grieving and. Um, to see kind of what the effect of that was with the conversations people were having and, and asking questions really, I just feel like really brought some healing to the grief I was feeling. Um, and even seeing 
white brothers and sisters that are like choosing to grieve with us as well. I feel like when you go, um, when you when you go and see God's heart and feels what He's feeling, I feel like that puts your heart in such a place where everything that comes out of that will be the right thing to do. If that makes sense. Um, when you connect with something emotionally and you have God's heart for something and you see George Floyd as a human being who was crying for his mother, you can see the, and you feel the empathy in that and not see it filtered with some political thing where some Democrat is trying to use it to get votes. You connect with that and you will just be moved to do the thing Jesus would do. Um, and so I'd say like, as far as practical things, like that would be the, I would think the root of a lot of change it would still take time generations but just really being open and vulnerable and taking the risk to listen um to, to someone that's like in pain even if that pain is out of anger even if it feels threatening just realizing where it's coming from um and realizing the pain and, and realizing I, and i also want my brothers and sisters to know like at least in my heart like I don't feel like Black Lives Matter, Black people want revenge or like um, people to pay. They, they just want things to be made right, I feel like. And a lot of that pain has led to a lot of anger and a lot of language that's not comfortable to us as Christians. Um, and again, that speaks to what Kyle was saying, that, you know, the, the church can be in the front of this. The church can take, take leadership. And I see in a lot of ways where that's starting to happen. Um, I really feel like if especially people from different backgrounds, like I was talking about. If, you're, if you don't really know Black people, um, just really, you know, getting into relationships with people and different perspectives and hearing different stories and just letting God kind of change your heart there. Um, I feel like that that's a big start um, to kind of shaking down a lot of the walls and barriers that we tend to build up, whether it be political or ideological um, so yeah that's something i value that's great thank you daniel kyle do you do you have any thoughts to add yeah i think um oh, i just watched a, a, a man i went to college with a black man he he's a public school teacher in chicago um incredible incredible man i mean um Anyway, he was walking downtown um, in Chicago the other day, and this white woman was just following him around, calling him a, I can't, I can't even say, but it was a terrible four-letter word then with a, basically, a, a, um, yeah, something a white person should never call a black person. And she was saying it over and over and over, just following him around. You know, A, he said, you know, it's just really hard, like, just to be walking around and you have to deal with this. B, um, he said, two white folks came and apologized to me for the person's behavior. But he said, three, no one ever said anything to this woman or called her out on her behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, if we're going to talk about, like, being a white ally, I think, one, um, man... You know, the one of sometimes the most holy and righteous thing you can do is is to call someone out, um, especially when they are um, not living up to to the love that a Christian is supposed to exemplify. 
Um, and even if they're not a Christian, if they are, if they are intentionally doing something to hurt someone else, again, that is our job to bring righteousness and justice in that situation. And so I think white, white allies, they speak up and they speak often and they're not afraid to lose their privilege, to lose their influence among other white folk. I think that um, as a white ally, ally, um, you just are concerned about that person who is being hurt in the moment. Um, and if that costs you something, it costs you something. And I think that's a cost that we all have to count. I think Jesus asks us to count our costs daily as well. Um, I think secondly, um, I would just ask people to take a posture of listening, um, to take a posture of, of just not speaking. <laughs> And just listening and amplifying voices that historically have not been listened to. Um, and so whether that's through your social media that you just start to take more of a posture of listening, um, whether that's through the interactions you have in your community or at church, um, just just listen. Take this time to learn. Um, and then, well, there's so many, but I'll just pick this one third. And I, I hope it's okay, Anthony. I'm going to tell a little story. Um, Absolutely. But third, and this is for the church, um, is that we have to start being in places that Jesus was in. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, and this is not to lift myself up or anything. It's just truly God God changed me through it. Um, the organization that Daniel and I worked with the last four years, yeah, we worked with um, uh, high school students who are coded homeless um, and many of these are, are just normal kids, but they've just gone through some very tough circumstances and have found themselves um, without a stable home. Anyway, one young man, I had the privilege of being his case manager for a year. Um, we, be, we started becoming very close. He was from very difficult. had never met his father. Um, his mother was in and out of jail a lot. Um, very, I mean, very, very poor. Um, um, had resorted to, and this kid was a beautiful person, but again, had nothing and had resorted to, um, um, doing some drug dealing on the side. Um, and again, you know, I think when you're in that with people, you know, you might hear drug dealer and just make all these assumptions. When I think of drug dealer, I think of young 18 year old man who was trying to make it, who had, who had no one. Who, he's a beautiful person. You know, I, again, when we put ourselves with, with people that we often demonize and, and know their story, they become children of God to us. Um, but anyway, uh, he was shot and killed um, right after he walked, like a few days after he graduated from high school, which was in itself a miracle that he graduated high school. So proud of him. Um, but he was shot and killed. Um, and... One thing led to another, and um, I ended up officiating basically an all-black funeral. Um, and um, just in the preparation, I would go and see his mom. She was out of jail at the time, and, and she was she was hurting bad, hurting bad. And she lived in the hood, hood. I mean, no no electricity. I mean, just a super rundown home. Um, and I would go and visit her. Daniel actually went with me once. I asked him to go with me once. Um, and uh, I'll just never forget, she said, and uh, it brings me to tears sometimes still thinking about it. But she said, Kyle, she said, in two weeks since my son has died, no one from the church has reached out to me. No one. No pastors. No, no people of faith. 
And um, like God just spoke a couple of things to my heart in that moment. Uh, one, well, what what the what is the point of the church then? But like, what what the heck are we doing? You know, what what what's the point? Um, I, I got really mad, Anthony. I got really angry because I thought, <clears throat> well, if the church is what we say we are, but we don't show up. <clears throat> For people like this and in places and spaces like this, then, then what are we doing? <clears throat> Number two is that I I vowed that I I would never um, follow a Christianity um, that didn't include people like this young man's mother and didn't didn't uplift this young man um, and didn't show up in these kinds of places and spaces. Um, and so I, I just made a promise to myself that. That's what I would start doing as a Christian. All this other junk, people can have it. I don't care. All this, all this arguing about doctrinal stuff or theological stuff or whatever. If we as Christians, if our faith does not lead us to love people and show up in places like that, then I just think we're going to be found wanting when we get to heaven. <clears throat> and, and God's going to have some very serious questions for us that we're going to have a, <clears throat> a hard time answering. So... I would just say that, Anthony, that for Christians is that um, I would just ask us to reevaluate what's important. Race is not political. It's a, it's a spiritual issue. And I think God wants to really, through this, um, reimagine and um, make new the, the bride that we call the church. Um, so as a white ally, I think, I think those are a few things that we can do. Man, thanks for sharing that. I... Uh... I want to just summarize what I what I heard and reiterate it. Um, we can confront, uh, and this is something I was taught even as a, as a kid when it comes to just bullying in general, um, it, or, or how you talk about uh, how you talk about women. You know, if there's if there's a guy talking disrespectful about women, women, uh, it's the honorable thing to do to say, hey, we don't we don't talk like that. That's not okay. Um, same with race stuff, confronting things. And, and all it takes a lot of times in those environments is one person stepping up and saying, no, that's, that's not okay. And, uh, and it, it has a powerful way of sometimes silencing, uh, the bully or silencing the person who, who has that racial hatred, but confront is something I heard Kyle say. I heard both Kyle, uh, and Daniel say to listen, um, and listen with empathy and vulnerability and compassion. Um, and then I think the next thing Kyle shared, but also the listening and the vulnerability and all that stuff sort of necessitate this being in places and spaces uh, with people who are, who are different, different than us. And, and I just want to like, I'm a, I'm a pastor. So, um, preaching comes naturally sometimes, but I, I want to share this idea of listening, of, of being and bearing with is uh, extremely biblical. Colossians 3.13, Paul writes to the believers there to bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's so, so, so important for us to realize that we too 
have received grace and compassion and love and forgiveness from God. And that's why we're called uh, to go send it out. And Jesus told a pretty scary parable about uh, a master who loaned this servant a, an astronomical debt. When you do the math in that time, uh, the debt, it would have taken him multiple lifetimes to pay off. And the master forgave his debt, but then he went out uh, to someone who owed him a very minor debt and didn't show mercy or grace. And um, when the master found out, he threw that uh, servant in prison, um, and it was indicated that wickedness in that parable was not having the same grace and mercy for your fellow human being that God has shown you. So bear with one another. Paul, again, in Ephesians 4, 2 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I think this listening and empathizing and standing with being vulnerable, being in places and spaces is thoroughly, thoroughly biblical. Um, man, Kyle, Daniel, thank you. Um, I just want to give you guys an opportunity. Are there, are there any, uh, Daniel, are, are there any sort of concluding thoughts, anything you, you want to add? Uh, obviously we could probably talk all day about some of this stuff, but, um, we're going to wrap up here shortly. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, this opportunity. Like I was saying, like, I feel like these conversations are just a huge healing. And I really do see God doing great things in the church right now, especially as ugliest things look right now. I feel like he's really exposing a lot. And I feel like, I really feel like I see the white church in general as of a beautiful opportunity um, where God is really challenging them you like everyone to really kind of inviting them to a place of just where they're just really depending on him and, and just to a real place of vulnerability that will just bring about i feel like a ton of growth and i feel like it'll be a huge blessing and it's i feel like i just feel like it's a really beautiful opportunity and something that will and i feel like god is doing that in our church and i, I feel like it's a beautiful process even though it's hard right now. Um, I do have hope for the future, and I do feel like um, God is doing something beautiful in the American church right now. So, but yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'd just add, you know, if, if um, you, I think if you find yourself in a place um, where you're really starting to wrestle through these things and even start to maybe say like, oh, wow, you know, some of these things are true or, um, you just start to have a little bit of a heart change. Um, it is very likely that your circle or people around you will start calling you a lot of different things, labeling you, whether it be um, a liberal or a leftist or um, just cer certain things. And 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 um, I would just say, like, don't worry about that. Um, ultimately, I think God is trying to rewrite a new story, a new narrative, um, both in you and in the church. Um, and so I would say when, when you hear those things, just go, go back to scripture, read the, read the, the minor prophets, um, read the gospels again and see, um, all the ways that, 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 um, God has always been in this kind of work. Um, he has always been about justice and about healing. And like Anthony said, forgiveness and writing a new story. That's what the gospels do. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to encourage people, if, as you start exploring and you, you, you receive pushback, probably, that's okay. That's part of it. Um, just keep listening. Um, keep praying. 
keep talking to people and keep growing. So yeah, thanks, Anthony. I think that this was a really great opportunity to learn together. Yes. Yeah. Well, Daniel and Kyle, thank you so much for your time. I'm very, very humbled. And uh, Daniel, it was an honor to uh, to meet you through a, a computer screen. And um, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to share this uh, with some listeners. So um, you guys have have a great day. And uh, till next time. <laughs>